who want to control and deceive know exactly the people who will disturb That's their right. plans. That's right. And those people are artists. They're the ones that tell the truth. last episode of the first season of This Thing Changed My Life. It has been absolutely incredible talking to different artists, different um, just wonderful people um, throughout this first year of the podcast, um, whether it was writers, poets, directors, producers, um, novelists, and just, you know, incredible people in the community. Um, it has been a really um wonderful opportunity for me to talk to these people about the things that I love, the things that have changed their lives, talking about arts, talking about culture, and um, talking about the passions that they have and how they impact the world. Um, in this episode, um, I speak to a good friend of mine, Caleb Femi, and um, we talk all things literature, we talk all things poetry, and specifically we talk about his um, debut uh, poetry collection called Poor that is currently out already so when you listen to this after you're done like during or even if you want to stop listening now and go on the Amazon the Waterstones the independent bookstores to go and buy his poetry collection then please please do um, I read it and it was absolutely brilliant. And hopefully during our conversation, you can really feel from myself and from Caleb, just how important this piece of work is. Um, so yeah, I would also just like to say thank you so much for listening to This Thing Changed My Life um, for our first, first season. And um, I really can't wait to come back and share with you other stories with other phenomenal heroes within our community. Um, I'm going to take a nice Christmas break this December um, and hopefully be back in the new year. So look out on our socials, on Twitter, it's um, This Thing Pod, on Instagram, it's This Thing Changed My Life, where you'll get all the updates about um, the next season and all the guests that I have planned. I'm already working on it, guys. So I've already got people lined up for the new year and the next year is going to be bigger, better and even more um, incredible with some soulful stories to tell you so yeah I mean I can't wait for you to listen to this episode so yeah I'm, I'm just gonna stop talking that and <laughs> and let me and Caleb um carry it away so thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy <laughs> I was like oh I get it it's like a black man with a hoodie but is he a black man we don't see his face <laughs> the contents of his life I was just moving mad in my head I said nah Caleb what is he coming to do wow wow no for real I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling humbled right now you just marinate serenaded marinated I don't know thank you appreciate it <laughs> no literally I know you're a harsh critic as well I know you're a harsh critic I'm a big harsh critic especially when it yeah. comes to poetry yeah. um, but each one of these I'm like okay I see why I see why he did that the ones that didn't hit me like others I'm like mm. oh this is important because of this one that comes next you know what I mean 
So whoever edited it, mwah, mwah. <laughs> amazing. Um, hi guys, I am joined by the amazing Kayla Fenny, poet and director. Well, listen, we are co-hosting, so you should allow me to introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Caleb Femi. I'm a writer, director. Generally, I like to indulge in the arts. Let's go. <laughs> now, where is your podcast, please? I don't understand. You just, the way you just came in, you were just like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Short burst, though. I'm not, I don't have a, a, a long enough attention span like you to keep it going <laughs> so you're saying that your podcast will be like seven minutes long like a ministry 100 percent, seven minutes long and it will drop like once every four months oh yes. i see <laughs> a sporadic <laughs> podcast you don't know when it drops but <laughs> no no yeah love it so caleb how are you how are you doing how's your week been um i'm doing well do you know what i'm really really like excited about the sudden change in the weather. Um, now I feel like my wardrobe is glowing. It's like coming alive. It's ready to like, you know, show show the world what, what they've been missing on. You get me? I'm ready to bring the fashion. I'm joking now. Um, I'm I'm good. I'm, autumn is my favorite season. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the beautiful sunsets. And um, just a general havoc that 2020 is going to surprise us with. Um, but yeah, it's been a good week. How, how have you been? Oh, okay, co-host. I'm telling um, you. <laughs> I've, I've been good. Um, I've been a bit busy at work. So I'm just hella, hella stressed. I've got loads on. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, we're keeping it moving. This this week has been particularly stressful only because I just haven't been doing yoga. So I'm big yogi. I do yoga every day or every other day. And I'm very aware of that. <laughs> I'm <laughs> very swamped this week. So I haven't had that time every morning to mm. like gather my thoughts and be, you know, reflective, mm. see what, um, what thoughts are in my head. So I've been very mm. like flustered. Mm. Um, so I hope that will change in the next week so I can gather myself back up. Um, yeah, that's, that's me. Thank you for asking, co-host. <laughs> no one asks, innit? Always the one to ask, never the one to be asked. Honestly, I'm like, yeah. wow. Um, <laughs> maybe you should be a regular. I'll be like, well, welcome to this thing changed my life. With Ray and Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so you know the vibes, you know the drill. I'm going to ask mm -hmm. you a few questions off the top of your head. Um, yeah. Answer with the first thing that has, you know, that, that comes into your mind. So first question, Caleb, who is the greatest artist of all time? The greatest artist of all time is a question that is so, it's difficult. Oh, such a difficult one to start with. Uh, the greatest artist of all time. Are we talking like the whole artistic spectrum or are we talking okay. about like artists as in a musician? I'm talking about the whole spectrum. So if you could look through all the arts, gather them up, whether it's film, visuals, you know, yeah. dance, music, theatre, all of it, the person to you that is the greatest of That all. is impeccable, executes every single time. Oh, uh, wow, 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 wow. 
all right. Do you know what? It's, I think that, I think I have to give it to, of all time, of all time, oh. <laughs> Killing me here. I could give you a couple of people who I feel like um, their work is just incredible and timeless. Um, and also just like the ethos, in their approach to their work, all of that kind of stuff. Um, the greatest of all times. This is not fair. The greatest of all times in terms of it. <laughs> you know what? I just think the safest thing to say is Beyonce. No, you can't. I know you're saying that just because I'm here. I'm exactly. No. I'm trying to maintain a, a good work relationship. No. <laughs> a good podcast host relationship here. That's, that's a cop out. That is like a cop out. <laughs> So, all right, I'll make it a little bit easier for you, just for you. We're not going to change it for everybody, all right? Yeah. Give me at least three. Three. Okay, that's cool. I could do three. Um, I think for, for film, and I, do you know what? I, I, I will give this cinematographer, um, Bradford Young, um, and the reason why I would give it to him is because of the co his contribution um, in recent times as to how uh, black people are are shot on screen um, and how they're lit and and just just capturing black people in a more favorable and truer light. So I'll give I'll give the first one to Bradford Young. Um, I would give the second one. Do you know what? After after this podcast, I'm gonna have a million and one like people in my head that I feel like I should have said. Um, the second person I would have to give to. Oh, do you know what? I I actually would give Beyonce one. Do you know why? I'll give it to her just because of the the range and the 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 range of, of, of her work in terms of how it lives in various different uh, mediums, listening to Beyonce musically, watching Beyonce visually, um, experiencing Beyonce live uh, are three things that like, I think if you can execute on those three platforms uh, impeccably every single time, then that you should be recognized for it. So um, I'll I'll give it to to Beyonce in that way. Um, and then I'll I'll probably give it to James Baldwin. Yeah. Because there is a artistry um, about oh, there's an artist artistry that is linked to his the way that he formulates a theory the way that he presents it to the world the way that he makes thoughts an artistic experience something that most of the time lives in such a rigid and academic um parameter he like pushes beyond that and presents uh presents the world in in such a beautiful way. Um, 
I want to give it to one more person, and that's because I read. Um, oh, what what did I read the other day? I read the mythology. Oh, you know what? I'll come back to that. I don't want to misquote some some. So I don't want to misquote someone. But yeah, that's my list. That's three. I was trying to do too much, overextending. This has been incredible because you were like, I'm going to do three, but also I have another one. Um, and another one. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Bradford Young, Beyonce, James Baldwin. You know what? I actually have never gotten into the James Baldwin bag. And I think maybe I've missed the bulk. Um I've only read one thing from James Baldwin and oh, yeah. it's his um, novel um, set in Paris with two um, men living together. They're mm -hmm. definitely uh, two, oh God, it's, it's pretty big. I should know the name. You should know the name. Oh, this is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I know the name, but I love seeing you. Like I, I love seeing this. This is beautiful. No, this is this is really bad. You know. Can I give you a clue. Give me the clue. It's uh, it is a name, and a room. Giovanni's room. <laughs> oh, yes, Giovanni's room. Read it. I. It was okay. It didn't. It didn't do what people when I when when I listen to what people say when they talk about James Baldwin. There is this stirring inside them, and I've just never felt it. Yeah, but you see, I love that. I I think that it's important for us to have the in this in this generation, especially for us to have that like non-talentness to people who have contributed so much to black discourse. Because it means that we have gone, we have developed the conversation so far away that what they're saying is almost basic now. Do you know what I mean? And that is definitely no disrespect towards um, towards uh, James Baldwin or any other any other amazing uh, writer who have like both written on an academic and also on a like just fictional basis, but. Uh, yeah, it's a testament that what you're saying is not is not hitting us as much as it yes. is because we've we've done Tumblr, we've gone through our Tumblr age, the Twitter age, Instagram age. Yeah, perfect, cool. Thank you for those three. Next question: What to you was the perfect book? What to me was the perfect book? Um, the perfect book, what was the perfect book that I really thought this book is, uh, okay, there's, there's, it's difficult. I don't want to, you know what, say it with my chest. I, I read this book. I don't necessarily think it's the perfect book in, in terms of its execution mm. um, or in terms of like how much it's done. I think it was the perfect book because it was one that was, was um, in terms of like discussions amongst men, it was one that like showed us um, a, a mirror, the truest mirror, and like said, this is what we are, this is who we are, this is how we look. Um, and that was Unit Diaz's This Is How You Lose Her. I, 
I um I, f I feel like in terms of it's such a difficult one to talk about because of the the content, the social content behind that and his um his behavior, do you know what I mean, that is inextricably linked to the book. So it's very, very difficult to to like have this conversation without being very delicate about it and without reducing or 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 like you know washing over that that unfortunate and terrible uh reality that has contributed to the book being what it is but i also think that in terms of um men on looking at who we are or who we are what we do how we think how we behave and what we are allowed to get away with that book kind of summed it up and was quite oh hate this word brave in the sense of it was actually doing what it was it was for the first time i struggle a lot of the time generally in literature to really um engage with discourse that has to do with like um, the toxic side of, of masculinity that has to do with misogyny, misogynoir, all of that kind of stuff, because no one is as, everyone is very surface level in their conversation. Everyone is very like, they toe the line and no one wants to talk about the atrocities. Mm. No one wants to talk about the subtle everydayness that is part of this culture um, that is harmful to women. Do you know what I mean? Um, but as a man, being in a room full of other men, I know how men talk. I know the, the deepest, darkest things that we say in the most nonchalant way. And what that book did was just say it. In the same, it was like a conversation that you would hear in any space that is just like exclusively men, where men feel safe to reveal themselves. Mm. That, this, the book was that. Um, yeah, I read it um, two years ago for um, an episode of my previous podcast, and I remember coming in and telling um, my co-host, "Yo, this book is trash. These men are trash. I hate everybody in this book." Mm -hmm. um, it was actually terrible, and mm -hmm. I have a big thing where um a lot of the times when people when i say oh it was awful people mm -hmm. think oh what the book was bad and i'm like the content of the book was bad so i guess it did what it needed to do which mm -hmm. is just be very um transparent yeah. um, but that that level of transparency absolutely like deterred my spirit and it just it just made me recoil and mm -hmm. i just went wow mm. because it, there was no sort of redemptive qualities Absolutely. Um, it just it just it just didn't hit and yeah. i was like huh and and to add to that as well um to add to that i feel like more than anything the most disappointing um the, the biggest failure of that book so it so in one way i think it was needed to it was a book that i feel like everyone who men generally or just anyone who identifies with the more masculine side of themselves um should sit in a room and discuss how do we then move forward so this book 
never needs to be written again, or this is no longer reality. Do you know what I mean? And I and I and I think that some that sometimes that's what books should do. They should like create a space or invite a question where we then seek to improve our lives because this is a version of life that we don't want to live anymore. So when the book came out and it got like congratulated or it got slated or all the various reactions, it was such a shame that nothing went forward to like men weren't coming together and be like, yo, let's talk about this because this is very true. There's nothing in this book that is exaggerated. If anything, it's been like softened a bit, diluted a bit. All right, let's talk and let's figure this out. But obviously the, the way that patriarchy works, the way that men and, and including me is that we don't necessarily, we're not obligated um, to, to um, hold ourselves accountable, to change, to, to do anything because the world supports the, our actions and it supports the way that we think anyway. So in one way, what I really, like I read it once and I've never read it again, but in one way, it's a book that like, um, I know you said the perfect book is not, it's not the perfect book in terms of how it's written, but it was, it could have been the perfect book for, for demonstrative change. Yeah. And it failed in that way, but it's not its fault that it failed in that way. Um, it's our fault. It's me and, and Eric and Jonathan and whatever that man is, whatever that person is. Do you know what I mean? It's all our, it's the rest of our thoughts. Um, do you think that there is, because you mentioned a lot about masculinity and its toxicity. Yeah. Do you think that we're now at a stage where, because a lot of these sort of unburdening books that I saw um, with regards to men or I have seen with regards to masculinity, yes, mm -hmm. it shows us, um, and it bears open the sort of the visuals. We see it clearly, mm -hmm. but what what should be done about it? Are we in a process of rewriting what masculinity is? Because that energy is always going to be there, right? In yeah. terms of just you're always going to be on that scale of mm -hmm. uh, masculinity or femininity. But mm -hmm. then, how do we, and by we I mean men, begin mm -hmm. to rewrite what? that masculinity is. Do you know what I mean? Mm. How do you guys go about doing that? Well, I think, first of all, we have to recognize um, all the various pillars that um, are upheld, both like, you know, in terms of a gender discussion, uh, that how, how this gender and how masculinity generally uh, benefits in all the various sectors of our society. I think that understanding is needed first because most men are blind to that or most men um, choose to, to like not acknowledge that. So we need to acknowledge that this is the state of the world and this is what is benefiting us. And then we need to because we are the ones who who have that privilege, who have that power, then like start putting in things into place in order to to fix that. But also like doing it in conjunction with people who suffer from 
from that power dynamic. Do you know what I mean? So people who are more on the 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 feminine side of the the, the spectrum. Do you know what I mean? Anyone who doesn't benefit from being being a a straight male, as it were. Do you know what I mean? So I think I think that that is a something that needs to be done. But also, do you know what it is? Not doing it straight, not doing it like, doing it in a way that doesn't require labor mm. from an excessive labor from that other section. Do you know what I mean? Um, doing it in a way where a word is enough for the wise, like tell us, but you don't actually need to come on the journey of like re repairing society with us do you know what i mean just point to what needs to be done and then a, a, and then a discussion later on needs to be had at how do we then all live together where no where this isn't even a thing do you know what i mean where femininity and masculinity is embraced in every single person regardless of their gender sex whatever we recognize that men have uh feminine energy and masculine energy and same with women and same with anybody else do you know what i mean and when we start embracing that then life just gets better for all of us you know i mean um finally uh penultimate question actually the motto or maxim that you live by by the way guys i'm really not happy with the questions um the answers sorry i'm not happy with my answers i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna like end up when this gets tweeted, I'm going to like have a new list of the perfect book, the perfect artist, all of that kind of stuff. All of this is just deer in the headlights stuff, guys. I'm really, really, if anyone was like disappointed with any of my answers. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm sorry. About First that. of all, deer in the headlights you is, is the real you. It's in that <laughs> moment. That's, that's what I'm trying to capture here. I refute that. Deer in the headlight me is not me. It's uh, it's the instinctive me. And that me, that me doesn't know anything. That me is just pure chaos. And that's what we love here. <laughs> we love a bit of chaos. That's what, exactly what I want. I want to strip all of that. Oh, you know, make it sound pretty nonsense. Let's just get to the core. Yeah. All right. So yeah, um, I just wonder the sort of do you have a motto or a maxim or anything that you live by that you would like? It is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, I have a few actually. Uh, it it is what it is. Is just one that has just been infused into my membrane by Twitter and social media, and then charge it to the game is one that is like coming. Wait. It's like going to be the new leader wait charge it to the game so stop you need to stop but so first of all the first time somebody told me that mm -hmm. charge it to the game <laughs> when i found myself in a romantic entanglement mm -hmm. and it was a massive l yeah <laughs> and there was a like a good friend of mine was like Oh, Ray, you have to just charge it to the game. And I just, <laughs> Caleb, I turned around and I said, can you sit down and explain to me what this game is? <laughs> because I don't know what the game is. But you Literally. know what? We didn't even need to explain it because as I got older, yeah. as I got much older and much mm -hmm. more, you know, experienced, you know, mm -hmm. just dealing with 
<laughs> people. Yeah. I instinctively inside, I was like, ah, I know what the game is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I actually really love that phrase. Charge it to the game. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's all in the same vein as we move, isn't it? Um, oh, I don't know because we move is a bit different to me. We move is like is very broad in that it's any sort of thing that brings you down, something that maybe mm -hmm. brings you stress. Or um, it can even be, you know, like I've seen it used in a variety of contexts, like, yeah. yo, we move, let's go. Mm. Do you know mm. what I mean? And it, it, it's quite, quite broad, but charge it to the game <laughs> is particular, especially mm. when you're dealing with like, uh, romantics and, and romance or just like, you know, interpersonal relationships. And that's why I think it's just sweet. Yeah, I agree. You know what? I definitely agree. Charge it to the game is definitely along specific topics. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. Yeah, so that's one. But usually on a, generally when, when I'm tired, when I'm just exhausted, there's this really, it's cringe, super, super cringe and very corny. And I hope that, you know, people uh, can embrace this side of me as well because I'm very super corny and super cringe. So there's a, there's a film called The Grey with that uh, white man that wants to walk around um, hitting, hitting black people with uh, weapons. Do you remember the Liam Neeson guy? Yeah. Um, but in it, there's, so he's like stuck in the middle of, I don't know what he's doing, but he's in like Iceland. He's like in the middle of snow. Um, and there's like this wolf that has like a particular, a particular uh, taste for the delicacy of a white man's flesh. So he's in the middle of this like expanse uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And there's one massive wolf that just wants him for lunch. <laughs> Um, and so that's the whole premise of the movie. But he keeps saying this phrase once more into the fray, into the last good fight I'll ever know. Live and die on this day, live and die on this day. That phrase always comes back to me when I'm tired and I don't want to do anything. I don't, I've got shit loads of work to do and I don't want to do it. And I just pick myself up. You know, when you drag your body out of like wherever it's like slumbering. Yeah. Like, yeah. Once more into the fray. I love it. I knew that's where you were headed. <laughs> oh, you watched it? Yeah. I was like, oh, I oh it. so you. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and last question: What are you currently reading? If you're reading anything. Yes, I've just finished. Um, wait, hold on. Let me run and get it. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm reading this collection. Actually, I've been like, I've been given the housing lock um, to read, Ooh. which I'm gonna. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna start this weekend. Um, but I'm reading Guillotine. I don't, I don't know why I'm like showing it up to the screen because this is, yeah. <laughs> Eduardo Corolla. Yeah. Corolla, uh, Cora, sorry, Coral. Wow, my head <laughs> is spinning. It's, a, it's like a, a collection of poetry. So I'm reading that at the moment. Uh, I've, I finished Claudia Rankin's um, new book new um new offering to the world yeah I, how, how how is it i actually was meaning to get it um the discussion 
is a do you know what I, I was quite apprehensive moving into it because I was just like okay what what more can be said about whiteness um that we don't we don't know or that we care <laughs> do you know what I mean um but once again uh Claudia is very illuminating in in her observations and in her questioning it's a book that feels like it's full of questions rather than answers or, or or solutions or anything like that which is why I really appreciate Claudia uh, Claudia's work in general because it's it's one about observation it's one about um, about question questioning about investigation but never about concrete answers or concrete theories that are that seem too didactic you know what I mean yeah yeah fabulous thank you for all of those they have been very illuminating. If you want to find out what they are, I will write them in the little description box so that you can find out exactly what gets Caleb ticking. Yeah. Right. Things that have changed your life. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Um, the first thing you said to yeah. me that changed your life was, of course, James Baldwin, but particularly yeah. his novel, Another Country. Mm-hmm. I want to know why. When did you first read it? How did you feel when you read it? And what lasting impact has it given you? Right. So I read Another Country loosely in um, sixth form. Uh, I just read it. I, I wasn't really like paying attention to it, I would say. And then I reread it in 20, 2016 or 17, 2017. I, I reread it. And it changed my understanding of, of writing. There's a particular scene where Rufus is with his girlfriend and they're going through like some bad times, um, but their communication is so poor. They don't know how to like, you know, talk about what, how they're feeling and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so so it's, a, it's a section of, of the book that it's, these people are not, these two people are not really saying anything but there's music in the background and the way that it's written. Sorry, let me, that's my, um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's music in the background and, um, and he intertwines like the thickness of the atmosphere, the, the texture of it with this like internal battle that each of the characters are, are, are going through. And then what, they actually say is nothing but like the lyrics the lyrics of the of the song in the background as well is actually communicating what they want to say to one another so when everything swims together and is like mixed into this beautiful cocktail it's amazing it's like it was just beautiful and and it taught me so much about writing how to write, the art of writing, um, how, to, how to use space, how to use negative space, how to use silence. Because um, I see negative space as something that exists in various ways. So silence is, is negative space and, and having like in photography or visually negative space is negative space. Um, and just like how to like use that and utilize that. And at the time I was lacking um, in that as a writer I just didn't I didn't really know how to how to do that properly and do that well 
and that was the first that was the first time that I felt like the formula was just presented to me um and then my writing changed from then I, I feel like my writing improved dramatically so that's what, how my life was changed in that way what was the formula or how did you like put it into your work um I think because I've always been interested in communicating because the diff- the most difficult job you have as your the number one mission of a poet is one that inherently is a failed one it's a failed mission because what you're trying to do is you're trying to you're trying to capture the ineffable right you're trying to capture something about humanness something about the human experience that you can only feel but you can never by the time you try to put it into words it will never fully capture that feeling ever so you're always going to fail because you're using tools that are inadequate the language especially the english language will never capture how you truly truly feel in the most distilled form of your your emotions you know uh so how do you then use words to say stuff that words can never fully communicate and sometimes silence mm. does that you know um sometimes the only way you can communicate something that difficult is by creating the conditions for people to enter that space and feel it rather than you trying to use words to to uh communicate that with them you have to put them in a space where they have to then really touch the atmosphere of it i don't know maybe That's i'm being amazing only because i know exactly what you're talking about and the one the first time i felt that was not, not the first time but the first time i recognized it is um a song by pharrell um, in his album girl and it's called lost queen mm-hmm. and in that song the first half it's a nice beat blah, blah 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 and because it was just playing in the background i thought the song had finished but mm. there was this massive elongated silence mm. and i was like where's the next song um so i was just sitting in that silence mm-hmm. and then these waves came along so mm. there was no words it was just waves mm. and then it was beats and drums and then he started singing again but in a tune that was very very different still carried that same sort of melodic atmosphere as the first half and I remember thinking what the fuck like because he had allowed me to stew in the first half of the song Mm. and when the waves came I always have this thing with like just you know natural sounds of the earth whether it's waves storms rain I love rain on like steel um, you know, roofs and tin yeah. roofs and all of that. He really was able to use that and literally transported me from Walthamstow to Zanzibar, being a five-year-old kid, dad taking me to the sea, to, to the beach every Sunday. And, and, and I was like, whoa, how did you do that? And you didn't do anything, really. Yeah. Um, so I like that. But I think what you're describing, I call 
stirring. So for me, I know when, when a poem is great because it just has a stirring effect in me where I'm like, I don't really know what I'm feeling. And I don't know if this is what the poet is intending for me to feel. Because I can imagine that being quite different from everybody, right? But I feel a sort of stirring and a sort of heat building up. And I'm like, oh, shit, something is happening. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, you know what? It's hard. But from what I read in Poor, I definitely think that you're able to execute it really well. So whatever it is that this book did. Thank you. Gracias. (laughs) <laughs> Fantastic. Stirring. I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that if you allow me to. Sure, like whatever <laughs> the sales that you get for your next book, if I see that word, I'm coming to you. <laughs> I just hope you know. I'll be like, all right, I don't know if it's penguin, y'all run me my check. <laughs> um but just to give context, another country is um a James Baldwin novel set in the 1950s, and um it follows sort of the tragic life of Rufus Scott, who is a jazz drummer. I'm not going to spoil it, but definitely it is an amazing novel that covers loads of sort of um, taboo issues of sexuality, Mm. uh, love and um, music as well, actually. So another country. The second thing that you said changed your life was a poem by T.S. Eliot called The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Mm. Pronounced that right. what did this poem do to you? It's a beautiful poem, by the way. Yeah, I, um, so I read this poem. Uh, it was, I think this poem was probably my first proper introduction, um, my first willing introduction to poetry. Um, reading it, there was a stirring. <laughs> there was a stirring. There was a stirring in me that um, that lasted the entire week that I read that poem and I kept revisiting it. And the reason why is because although I, I wasn't keyed into, I think, how old? I was probably about 16, 17, 17, I think. Um, not necessarily keyed into like the context of who T.S. Eliot is um, or what he's talking about, or uh, not what he's talking about, but who he's talking about, the, the context behind it. Or anything like that but there was something about capturing the lives of what seemed like everyday people everyday working class people um, and at this point I was starved of reading black writers black poets um, it, 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 unfortunately I usually hang my head in shame because I'm like oh I didn't read like black poets until I was like I don't know in like just before uni, um, hang, I, I'm hanging my, my head in shame, but I grew up, I grew up in Peckham and like, I wasn't trying to focus on literature and all of that. I was uh, into the pharmaceutical business. Um, <laughs> so T.S. So Eliot was more of just like unintentional, uh, unintentional like uh, meeting. Um, but nonetheless, poetry is poetry in it. Uh, it stirred something in me and, and I paid attention to, to poetry since then. I was interested in this, like in the, in the capturing of everyday people 
and I wanted to apply that to myself. I wanted to, to capture the life and times and moments of, of the people around me. What, what reading T.S. Eliot did was even reading the whole of Wasteland, which, um, which this poem like, led me into doing, was just the similarities um, of the, you know, the everyday working class person in Britain, in Britain. I mean, obviously this is very white in its, um, in its gaze and who it's talking about, but being working class and feeling like one of the humble people that um, T.S. Eliot was talking about, I, I felt like, I felt like this was a place that um, I, I saw elements of myself in it. It was definitely too white, but the, on a class level, it, it spoke to me. Um, and also it encouraged me to, to want to go and look for writers who are talking about being black and working class in Britain. Mm. Sweet. Um, the next thing I actually have been playing this morning, very hard to get a hold of because it's not on um, Apple Music or, or Spotify, <laughs> is Frank Ocean's Nostalgia Ultra. Uh, yeah, man. Talk to me. Tumblr days when, you know, when, you know them days, I don't know if you caught the Tumblr, that little 20, like 2000 and between, what was it, 2000 and, to me anyway, it was like between 2009 and like 2013, there was like, I had, that was my Tumblr sort of um, uh, age. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, and it, there was just like a whole movement. Uh, listening to 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 this tape was was just blew my mind. Just in oh, the talent, the way that he's able to capture sorrow and heartbreak and and still make it feel fly and still the the simultaneous like feeling of elation and heartbreak is something that he captures so well. Um, and it also made me pay attention to his pen game. Obviously not all the songs are, are his, but the ones that were his um, felt very poetic mm. in nature. And obviously I'm, I'm, I'm very drawn to that. I think that Frank Ocean is a phenomenal writer. I regard him as a poet. When, when I read his work, it feels like, like poetry, especially Blonde. Reading Blonde is, is, is a great experience. Um, and also he had Tumblr as well. I used to follow Frank Ocean on Tumblr and he used to like do his Sad Boy Hours uh, posts, which I appreciated at the time. I wasn't, I wasn't heartbroken, but I like, it was very voyeuristic. Like I was just living vicariously through the internet to all these heartbroken like people who looked cool at the same time. You know, you're very susceptible at that age. I really wanted to have my heart broken until I had my heart broken. And I remembered that this is not a nice place to be in. That's why you make so much good work because it's (laughs) the best of art. I don't know, like, I don't know what it is, but I, I just know that I've only been heartbroken twice and it's never happening again by God's grace. Um, <laughs> I'm so funny. Like in heartbreak, I crack the yeah. best jokes. My, 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 my most incredible material comes out. Like 
everything is funny. I can just, everybody is laughing. Mm. I become like the best stand-up comedian. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Nah, it's, it's character building. It's definitely um, character building. But up to a certain point, I feel like sometimes it's just unnecessary. I agree, which is why I, I say like, I mean, you have to get your heart broken once pre-25, uh, maybe when you're a teen. You know what? I would recommend a teenage heartbreak. Yes. I recommend that. I, I had that and that was, that fortified my foundations. <laughs> I was ready to go into the game yes. and just like know that, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Charge it to the game. Uh, game you know like for real it was this is an arena where you can really flatline you know um so pay attention to to how you're moving um uh, yeah I, I, how many so you've been heartbroken twice so um i had a teenage heartbreak but it wasn't really a heartbreak it was more so like a unrequited okay. like longing because i grew up muslimic so like i couldn't really I mean, you know, I could have dated in secret, but I was a real good girl back then. Yeah. But I'm sh- and <laughs> I, I didn't want to draw too much attention to the back then, but yeah. <clears throat> so that gave me like, oh, so much character. Like I felt like I was carrying this like heavy thing inside me. I would write quite often. And it was uh, very stupid now that I look back, um, mm. but it, it gave me that sort of moody edge. You know, yeah. I was bubbly, but also I would wake up just angry. That could have just yeah. been hormones. Yeah. Um, and then I had a what I call a pre-25 heartbreak. It actually, okay. like, at like 25. And I think yeah. every woman or like hopefully every man, if they do get a heartbreak, they should get it pre-25. Post-25, you just have so much responsibility. It's like, yeah. Yeah. who has time? to do mm-hmm. heartbreak when you have bills to pay rent, you have to go to work, you have to do a podcast, you have mm. to write, you have to get your yeah. back. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. unnecessary. So, um, and I say like, it just won't happen again because it, it, I don't think it can. Or maybe I'm being a bit arrogant, right? You're being massively arrogant. I'll tell you that from now. Clear. I genuinely don't think it can. You don't think it can? At my big age, how, how is anybody breaking my heart? Okay, let me tell you something, yeah. <laughs> Nobody can do it. When you when you enter a relationship, right? If you're entering a relationship with your heart open, which you should be doing, uh, with you understanding the stakes that you are literally laying your your heart, your most precious organ, into someone else's hand, and you're saying, "Look after it." You should always know that there will always be a possibility that this person will ruin it, will break it, will mash it up. So therefore, the arrogance is only when you know that you're not putting everything into the relationship. So you know that whatever happens, there was a part of you that wasn't all the way present anyway. And that that leads to the breakdown of the relationship from the start anyway. And you know this, you know this. Hey, Liv, let me tell you something, let me tell you something, let me tell you something, yeah. Let me tell you something real quick here. <laughs> I, the way I view vulnerability these days is so different that okay. I am very able to give that 100% of my heart, right? right? And I guess maybe what I mean is 
I'll, maybe I'll experience heartbreak, but it can't kill me. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yes. Maybe yes. that's what I mean. And I should have like explained it properly because I do think that, I think the first time you go through heartbreak, mm-hmm. it's like you can't breathe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh my goodness, the world has ended. But mm-hmm. I think I'm at a mature stage in life where it's like, I can definitely give my heart or I don't really call it giving my heart because I just, it's just, you know, yeah. Yeah. share. Yeah. Like the word share. That's yeah. right. So I can share my heart and my life and, and everything, knowing that I have the boundaries in place mm-hmm. so that if my heart is ever mistreated, I know exactly what to do. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I'm at a stage where I can feel my emotions and mm-hmm. draw strength from them, knowing that I'm a human being, knowing that this won't last forever, knowing that I'm very lucky and honored to have felt love because I do think love is one of the most greatest emotions um almost superpower to me it's like gravity it really just it runs everything do you know what I mean wars have been started because of love peace has been you know rained on because of love so I think it's more so my arrogance stems from knowing that love is a powerful tool yeah whether it's um at a peaceful time or in times of you know anxiety yeah. or issues and just I don't know I just feel very like at peace like okay yeah. so I'm heartbroken cool yeah. life will virtual go high five, virtual high five and and long may long may that live I think I I I, I celebrate the arrogance to it and also <laughs> I partake I partake in that because um, putting it in that way that's how I feel as well I, mm-hmm. I definitely have in in the in the course of my life, um, learned that uh, there are ways in which to look after yourself, set boundaries in place, have a a better understanding who I am, what I want, yeah. my intentionality around things. So whenever things go wrong, I'm able to recover. I'm able to still val- retain and and um, appreciate the value that I have Absolutely. in in myself and keep optimism, hope, uh, and kindness alive uh, to move forward and and, uh, find someone else maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think I remember watching the, um, I think Lauren London um, and at the funeral and when she said, you can't like, own someone no you can't like possess somebody you can only experience them and that's genuinely how I go through life especially with like family and friends I very much I'm like you know what I love my family um by my family I mean I get the luxury and the privilege of experiencing them their love and their fullness and that is genuinely how I go through with friends um I faced a bit of a bereavement recently and that has like changed the game for me anyway because it's like I actually have nothing to offer the world but love right now. So it's like, okay, let's let's do it. And if it, it ends, there's much more in store. Yeah. Um, it doesn't it doesn't really run out unless you want it to. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I love that. That yeah. just came, that all of that came from Frank Ocean, you know. Frank Ocean. Do you know what I mean? And also, we did talk about friendship heartbreak as well. Because no. That damn, I've I've experienced so much of that recently, and that is thing. Friendship heartbreak is even. I think it can be. I think quite what like almost worse than like maybe romantic because, especially if you haven't integrated your 
your romantic affair with mm-hmm. your friends, right? Because like, mm-hmm. if, for example, I quite like to keep this where it's like my partner, I get such this anxiety with, mm. you know, embedding them in my friendship group mm. because then there is no escape, right? And so imagine losing the friendship love. Mm. Like you, what do you, what do you mean? Yeah. I socialized with you. Like how? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a tragic thing, man. It really I've, hurts. I've experienced that once and yeah, that, that was not cute. Um, mm. That wasn't nice at all. Fantastic. Um, I don't know if we have time to touch on Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yeah. But, you know, what do you have to say about that pretty quickly before we go um, on? Quickly. Well, Beasts of the Southern Wild is just, I just enjoyed it. I, I, I loved the escapism um, with it, like how centered it was around escapism and fantasy. Yeah. Amid like horrible um, economic uh, and emotional um, conditions, you know? There's a five-year-old girl, four-year-old girl who exists in a community that is losing their way of life, a community that is heavily impoverished, and she, her imagination is keeping her alive. And that ain't that the story. Ain't that the black story? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, ain't that such a global black story? Um, you know. So I, I, I love that about it. You know. Fantastic. So, Caleb, let's talk about Paul. Um, your debut poetry collection, published by Penguin, uh, will be published on, I believe, the 5th of November. 5th of November. Um, I've read it. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, yeah. But I'm going to let you introduce it because I feel a bit dumbfounded because I've literally just finished it. And I'm like, oh. I don't even know how to gather my thoughts because, like, <laughs> you know, and you're also... A director, but you also do photography, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this marries sort of the written word in this sort of poetic uh, yeah. form with some photography. Yeah. Um, how, one, when did you start putting mm. it all together and how mm. did it become uh, what it is now? And also, when did you decide to marry those two forms together? Um, Paul was a book that I, obviously un, unintentionally you're, you're writing it. Um, I think we're all writing novels in our heads. We're all writing something in our heads. Um, so I, I, I guess I've always been writing it um, in one way, unintentionally. Intentionally though, I think end of 2017 was when I was like, all right, cool. This is the direction I want to do in terms of my, my first collection. This is what I want to talk about. Um, it's a book that celebrates life, um, life from a young, young black teenager um, who is her, their community, his community, boy, his community is um, council estate, working class, um, low economic background, all of that kind of stuff. Um, it's It's a question of who is poor? What is being poor? Are you poor in spirit? Are you poor in your pocket? Are you poor in the people that you have around you? What does it mean to be poor? Um, 
challenging the perceptions of of black working classness. I think we, it, in terms of the like in terms of Britain, there's such a reductive and single singular narrative that just like homogenizes everyone from the ends. Everyone from a council estate is like top boy, or it's like kidhood or whatever. It's very like crime, crime, crime. Which in one way, yes, it's true, but we're not asking that question of like, what has led to people needing to create, to, to, to engage in these crimes? Also, what about the crimes that are being done to this community on a governmental level? Um, and also like, how do these people, this community, how do they live? How do they celebrate themselves? How do they, embrace joy how do they like live in spite of these bullshit conditions you know um it looks at psychogeography as well how the design architectural design has shaped the lives of people that live in these areas how does it shape how they see themselves how do they how they see the, the world how does it impact on on their mental health and also the limits on what what you have to do to survive how does it like normalize stuff that shouldn't be normalized so basically that's what the, the book tries to do but more than anything what i'm most proud about this book is it's fantastical elements times where i get to dip into that are times where i'm like my heart is singing i'm really really happy about that um in terms of merging poetry and photography i've always felt that Poetry and photography do the same thing, essentially. They're trying to capture a certain way of looking at the world. They're capturing a certain perception. They're trying to always shift whoever's looking at the painting or, the, or reading the, the poem, trying to shift what you think you know about the subject matter and what you think you know about yourself simultaneously. Um, so I felt that because they're so, they, they're so close in that way, they would do nothing but enhance the experience that I'm trying to create. I think it's important that people, people, especially with poetry collections, people feel like they're submerged into a world. People feel like there's an experience going on that they need to tap into rather than just like, here's a poem, here's another poem, here's another poem, here's another poem. And I felt that photography um, can aid in that way. In creating that experience, um, I'm quite a an amateur poet poetry reader. I would say in that I don't dabble in it often, but I've realised um, that this is something that I couldn't even read. Um, as in, I couldn't just open a page and read it. I could have done that, but I really enjoyed reading it chronologically, mm. and almost and that's why it's like it's very much a story. Like you really in each each poem each book, I'm sorry, each poem, each picture puts you deeper into a certain space where you get to feel that stirring, as I, as I say. Um, so I, I really loved it. And I loved how, when you say the fantastical elements, I thought that your creativity in that way was phenomenal. There was a poem um, where it was like a play and the mm. characters were CCTV cameras, mm. uh, which I have actually never seen before. And mm. As soon as I saw CCTV camera, when I said, nah, I don't, I don't care what they're going to say, but I know it's going to be lit. 
Um, so that was amazing. Um, you also had another one, which is about uh, two conversations happening um, at two different intervals. One talking about, um, I don't know, a block of flats or you know, housing development as, as um, what is it, as like, as a resident and the other one talking about it as a designer. Designer, yeah. Um, and you've, you did quite a few of those. And I thought that was phenomenal. Where did you get that idea from? I, I always think there's a disconnect between people who are building stuff and people have to use the stuff that's been built. So like everyone, when I, I'm super into um, interior design, super into architecture, that's my bag. And I always like watch these people, um, these often middle-class white people, talking about the functional intention behind the designs. Um, and it never hit in for working class spaces. They always get it right. When they're talking about designing the first class lounge at an airport, spot on. They've, the functionality, uh, the, the theory of the functionality and the reality of it meet in the middle, perfect. Any other space is terrible. Do you know what I mean? Which then makes me question whether there's lying going on, where you, you know what the real intention is for these working class spaces, but you're gonna lie to the camera and say it's for something else, or you're just generally incompetent, um, and you shouldn't be uh, trusted to create spaces for working class people, and maybe you should employ more working class people to create spaces for communities that they've come from. Um, so yeah, so it kind of birthed out of that, a designer talking about what their intentions behind uh, a particular um, design that they've done um, and a public space, sorry, uh, a housing space. Um, and then the person who has to live in that house and how they experience and whether those two things match up. I think what was beautiful was, well, one thing I realized that architecture and buildings were like your thing, because you had um, a series of another poem called Concrete. Yeah. Um, and I was just thinking with regards to my childhood, I grew up in um, various council estates in East London, and mm -hmm. um, most of them were a big block of concrete flats. Mm -hmm. And I, and each time I read a poem, I just took me back to being that kid on the block living in these concrete blocks and realizing how we didn't have a lot of grass there wasn't anything else but concrete mm -hmm. um and i was like wait uh, how how did kayla tap into that <laughs> um but yeah was that an intentional intentional thing with, with concrete yeah when i think about my memories yeah I was thinking about it one day and I was like, what's the, what features the most in my memory? People, black people, um, and then beyond the people, what environments um, feature the most? And it was what it was. Okay, cool. What material build is, is used to build those environments? And it was concrete. So I was like, all right, cool. What what's the impact of concrete, the presence of concrete um, in my life? How is it shaped? How is it contributed? How is it colored my perception of the world? Um, the lack of, of greenery, the lack of forestry. There's something divine, like 
on a scientific level, down to a scientific, there's something dis- divine about nature in terms of trees and greenery, all of that. Um, it, it feeds you, it feeds your spirit, it feeds your sense of self. It keeps you in tune with the clock of the earth. Mm. How do you know it's spring? How do you know it's autumn? How do you know it's winter? How do you, like nature should have that sort of, should contribute to our understanding of the world, not concrete. Concrete shouldn't be the majority of things that we see. Um, that's just my little sad critique. But I've, I've, I just wanted us to just, or I wanted to be more aware of everything around me and how it's shaping my everyday experience. And I feel that concrete, in a way, um, it, it, it never allowed me to truly appreciate or tap into um, the sublime, the sublimeness of, of nature. Um, and there's something bland about it. You see, I, don't, I wasn't born in this country. I was born with color. I was born with vibrancy. And I think that when you then move into such a grayscale environment, it really does something to you. It does something to your imagination as well when you're a young kid. Um, so it's, it's, it's all centered around, around that, really. I mean, yeah. I was, I was born in Zanzibar, and I just realized that there's a lot of greenery, mm-hmm. a lot of nature, um, a lot of like dust, but not a lot of concrete. Wow. Amazing. Um, come on. Um, what else did I want to touch on? This is just absolutely mind-blowing, but there was another poem called that I loved called 13, which you were able yeah. to really capture the innocence of a child mm-hmm. uh, to people who don't see them as children. Uh, yeah. I remember in it, I think he asked, he's, in it, it plays out in my head, he's coming mm-hmm. home from school, uh, get stopped and searched mm. and he's looking at one of the officers and it's, he has this like heartbreaking moment where mm. he's like, oh, don't you recognize me? You spoke at mm. my school assembly where mm. you said we're supernovas, we're stars. Mm. Um, mm. And then later on in class, the teacher told us that stars were just dying. And I'm like, I remember in the margin, <laughs> I said, are you mad? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's, yeah, I can't even take credit for that too much because that is just me just relaying the first time I got arrested at 13 years old. That it happened exactly as as um as exactly as it's written. That's how it's happened. You know, um, I was going home one day and I got stopped and I got arrested because I fit the description of a man, um, but I was 13 years old. Um, so I, in, in my head, I really wish I, I conceptualized that, but. I mean, the experience aside, I think the way, like in terms of maybe the okay. way it was written, the fact yeah. that you took this police officer saying your stars and then yeah. you then flipped it around and, you know, were like, oh, well, yeah. this is what the teacher also told us about stars. Yeah. So would, are you looking at it? Was mm. lyrically, sublime <laughs> yeah. lyrically it, it just it read really really well yeah. um outside of that what's what was your favorite to write my favorite to write 
and I think Forevermore. Uh, wait, two things were my favorite, but my top, top favorite was the painting on the concrete wall. That was my favorite to write ever. That was just like, I, I, to tell that story, I've always wanted to tell that story and to tell that story was, was just made, just made me so happy and made me so like proud. I think the heart of the book is that poem. That is, if there's one thing I want people to take away is that, you know, that capturing of, of this strange estate that I grew up on that was full of fantasy, that was full of stories of people, you know, running through wars or like making deals with the devil or like all these like crazy, bizarre, spiritual adjacent folklore type of thing. That was my estate. It was a crazy estate, but it was just normal. You know, if there's, if tomorrow someone says, oh, that the neighbor turned into a cat, that was not, that was not like, that was normal. That wasn't a story that wasn't uh, figurative. That was like, I would see the neighbor, I'll be in a lift with the same neighbor and I'll be like, wow, you can turn into a cat. <laughs> I want to turn into a cat, <laughs> do you know what I mean? What I loved about um, the painting on the concrete wall was that it was, it was like somebody is sitting down telling you the story. And in, yeah. in doing so, it gave it a sort of mythical, mm. sort of, you know, folklore kind of vibe. Like mm. it's talking about, you know, ancient Greek, it's talking about ends. Yeah, yeah. And that, I don't even know how you did it because- and That's so much part of our culture, isn't it though? Exactly, like, yeah. In, in our Africanness, like that is what, that is normal. This is part of it, you know? We tell stories and we tell stories in a very folklore way, you know? Um, what was the other one? Um, I really enjoyed writing, um, um, okay, I'll say two more. I really enjoyed writing um, The Honey Trap and The Little Boy. I really yeah. enjoyed that. Um, I, 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 I just wanted to just write a truer story of this whole Honey Trap situation. I always have always felt that like, if you come from that life, then you always know that the people who take the blame are usually, is usually the woman or usually the girl. and that's who gets victimized, but often or not, that is someone who incidentally is connected to a story about, about arrogance, a story about carelessness, and a story about issues between boys. Mm -hmm. But the biggest person who gets crucified is the girl. So I, so I really enjoyed telling that story, but the book of the generations of Peckham boys, um, that whole section that whole sequence i enjoyed writing that i wrote that in like an hour less than that like half an hour and just like smashed that out it just poured out of me one day and i and i really like that fantastic um in terms of how you write i always ask are you a sporadic as you say you just sit and you're like well let all of this creative genius spill out of me or are you more of a measured are you you know you you have the scene in your head, you plan it out, you know that this is how it's going to flow. Um, where do you lie on that spectrum? 
Um, in terms of poetry, I, I write, I sit down, I know what I want to talk about. I don't plan it, but I know sort of the subject matter and I write a lot of the time. That's like me 60 to 70% of the time. Sometimes I sit down and write what my heart just needs to write. Um, but in terms of novels and everything else, it's, it's planned. I stew in it, I marinate in everything and I plan out, okay, this is what's happening and I write that out in that yeah. way. I'm still not all the way confident in that in that sort of form of writing yet. So I'm I'm like tippy toeing um, yeah. meticulous about it. Um in terms of just like the whole collection, mm. when people read this, what do you want them to take away from from Paul? See, I didn't with this, I want them to take away um, a better awareness of, of design, of, of their environment, the built up environment. Um, I want them to, to take from this uh, entertainment in, in, yeah, and joy in like the, the parts of it that, that, that are championing that. I really want them to like embrace that and be like, yo, that was sick. I love this thing or I love that thing. And so I wanted them to take that in, but also I want them to like, I want the men, there's some poems in it where like it, it's specifically like chirps, for example, like that I, I want the, the male readers of, of this book to, to really look at the discourse and engage with it and use it as a way to like, think about how we do better moving forward. Um, and then, you know, generally the, 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 I don't really like to, I don't really want a conversation to be had around the more sorrowful elements of it, you know, crime, death, all of that. I, I, a part of me didn't even want to include any of that at the start, but then I was like, look, it's still necessary to talk about those things let me try and talk about it with dignity and with something that feels more authentic but i just hope that people don't see this as some book about knife crime or some book about do you know what i mean like these reductive topical things yeah i got that from i think you did a really great job with that on things i have stolen um mm. so, you know just talks about you know petty crime but then at the end you know he goes to the funeral of this boy mm. and he stole the grief and it was so poignant it was so beautiful because it's like oh. um that was phenomenal actually now i think about it <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah no just amazing i like i have things that i stand and i really stand poor because it's like it's not really poor it's just so rich in community uh, design as you say architecture uh, and the spirit of young black men, yeah. um, love it. Amazing. I don't even know what else to say. Cause like, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. final question though, what advice do you got? Do you have for budding poets, budding writers, budding photographers and directors and producers and just all things creative really? Um, advice is, uh, take risks. 
and try to try to write in a way or try to create work in a way that that feels like you that you can be proud of that doesn't whether it's terrible or not feels like you i think uh, authenticity for me is beyond anything else there are some really skilled writers and i like their work uh because of their execution but it doesn't feel authentic um, and there are other writers who I will always revisit their work because it feels like only they can do this, um, regardless of how well executed it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and do you have any, what's this new book that I'm hearing about? Are we going to get an exclusive? Can you say, are you working on anything? Yes, yeah, so I'm working on lots of things like this. I, I'm always putting hands in lots of pies. I'm working in so many things at the moment. It is physically overwhelming. Um, but more than anything, I'm working on myself. But um, oh, you didn't see that coming, did ya? Hey, okay, okay, I see what you did there. Um, <laughs> love it. Um, yeah, I mean, where can people find you? Um, Paul is coming out on the fifth of November. Make sure you fifth go. Fifth of November. It. Remember, remember the fifth of November. Paul is coming out. You can get it. Please try and get it from an independent bookstore. But also, you know, uh, Waterstones, Foils, Amazon, all the rest of them are there. But if you can get it from your local, that would be nice too. Um, and what else? Uh, my Oh, you can find me on social media, just like Caleb Femi. There's like a million of us, but... Really? Yeah, there's, it's a very bait name. I didn't know on, in Nigeria. It's bait. So... Caleb.femi on Instagram, Caleb.femi underscore on Twitter. And one day I will have a TikTok. And when I do, it's a oh. cry out for help. Oh no, it's the Tumblr. It's the Tumblr you that's just going to pop out <laughs> on TikTok. I see it. Um, so lovely to speak to you. I, I remember the first time I actually met you, you went to the same university, studied the same course. Yes, we went to the same uni, studied the... People don't know that, innit? Bit of no. trivia. They don't, um, but you were in the year above me, and I remember, like, um, obviously, as you guys know, Caleb was the main diggity don. You know, um, he was like, I think you were like in that year, the only black guy studying English. Was there another? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and so I remember being like, wait, there's a, there's a, there's another one. Um, you were in the year above me, and you were like, yeah, take post-colonial literatures in time because yeah, it's really good. I actually um, thought, did you, you didn't, did you? I hope you did. I did oh, okay. It. I did it. I actually thought you studied law. What? Like, what? I don't know why. Why? I literally walked up to you and I said, do you like recommend this? No, before, book? yeah, before, yeah, before our conversation. Oh, I, I see. You thought you studied law because you hung out with law people. Did I? Yeah. I mean, most of the ACS studied law. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there was. I think there was like one black girl, her name was Jazz. I remember that specifically. Um, I remember that only because she converted to Islam and I bumped into her when I was doing my law, um, law course afterwards. And she was like full out, kitted out, a buyer and everything. And oh, a bad Muslimic, I was like in some tight skirt. <laughs> <laughs> I just was so ashamed. I was like, how can you Muslim better than me? And like, <laughs> you're a Um, So yeah, that's quite interesting. Um, and a lot of oversharing, but thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me um caleb femi everybody 
Poor is out on the 5th of November. Make sure you go and buy it. It is something that I truly stand and stand behind and think it's a beautiful, beautiful debut collection. So excited to have you again when you, you know, have your other works popping out. Um, and you as well. I know you're working on something. Um, but like, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that offline. Offline, yeah. <laughs> offline. Um, so thank you so much and I'll catch you guys next week. Bye. I remind us all that art is dangerous and it's something that the society has got.